Uh, this is Greg Pak, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. children, when you present the creative process as a process, they really understand that because that's how they're processing the world. The thing is not the thing until it's cooked, you know, until it's done. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's like cooking. You got all these ingredients. You can mess them around any way you want to. And sometimes it's going to be palatable and sometimes it's going to go Bleh! Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, as well as gbbpodcast.com. The gbbpodcast.com. Oh, right. We went over this before. Yeah, you used it like four years ago when we started. This was a really big thing for you. You could never remember the the. <laughs> Do you remember that? I forgot that. I kept... <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I used to screw up our Twitter handle too because remember we every were, single week you'd screw up. Well, they it were up. different, right? We didn't have them the same. And then eventually. Well, yeah, but then like, we had them the same and you would still just say GBB <laughs> podcast. You would never get the thud there. Oh, fun memories. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here for another week. I was going to start coming in because yeah. um, I am not aware if Paddington Bear has a theme song. <gasps> I don't know if he does. Oh my gosh. I so I was just going to be like, Paddington Bear. I'm just going to make one up. Do it. <laughs> he's not a teddy bear. He's a real bear. I love it. That's, that's what it should be. <laughs> I love it. Which, by the way, one yes. of the fun facts, like people are going to be like, what? You don't know Paddington Bear? <gasps> I I mean, I I know who he is. Like everybody, like everybody knows who Paddington Bear is. But right. I had always seen wrongly i had seen the stuffed animals and i had just assumed that paddington was like an alive version of the stuffed animal and one of the things in the interview we learned this week is he's a real bear yeah so i probably should have asked you this so we don't reveal our ignorance before the actual interview um did you have you seen either of the movies the new movies um i've seen the first one not the one not the newest one that has crazy great reviews they both have crazy great reviews oh do they the first one does too yeah yeah, and then when the second one, right as it was released, they were saying it was the highest reviewed movie. I don't know if it still is, but it's the highest critically reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes of all time. That's Paddington Bear Two. That's that, like Paddington Two. Like who would have thought? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's that's whack. Like okay, so now I'm going to admit straight up, I have not seen either of the movies. Shame, right. shame. I know. For shame. Um, I, I want to. You know, it's just. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. Um, I haven't even seen Black Panther yet. Me either. (laughs) We're we're awful fans. We're awful nerds. It's at least I have an excuse. Like we have been moving. We've been Uh crazy working on the house, finishing stuff up. I've had no time, no money. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I've missed a lot of recent movies, but, uh, Paddington, I've heard nothing but like glowing reviews about those movies. Exactly. And the kids, I know my kids love Paddington and they would have loved to seen Paddington too. And just like you were saying, you're busy and like we've been busy too with right now it's dance competition season and life gets in the way tight during that time (laughs) it's literally a weekend away every couple of weeks and let's be honest going to the movies is no cheap prospect anymore it is not you know i feel like an old person saying this but it's like a family of four goes to the movie we spend like 50 bucks you know at least at least easily minimum yeah um (sighs) anyway shake my shaking my fist at a cloud right now yeah um (laughs) but we don't need to talk about the movies or know about no. the movies to talk to for this week because this week we're talking to Bob Alley. Um, R.W. Alley is his um, pen name, I guess. Right. Uh, and he has been the illustrator uh, for all Paddington books for about 20 years, uh, which is crazy. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I imagine, like, I can't imagine doing 20 years of anything. I know. Let alone, you know, being at the forefront of, you know, 
working on the books and talking like he had, he had a relationship with the author of the, you know, obviously you would have to, you'd be very close to him talking yeah. to him about ideas and it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it's like not only to have the privilege of working on an icon, you know, and Paddington is a British icon, you know, he might right. have, you know, the movies might be a hit here and people know, you know, Oh, it's the bear with the little blue raincoat and the, the, the hat, uh-huh. you know, like they kind of have an idea, but like, over there, he's like, I don't want to say Winnie the Pooh because he's, Winnie the Pooh is Winnie the Pooh over there too. You know, like, I don't know if there's right. an equivalent, you know, it's like Curious George, maybe, you know, everybody yes. knows Curious George here and like yeah. everybody knows Paddington there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to not only have the privilege of, of doing the art and the illustrations for those books, to, but, but to do it for more than two decades yeah. um, and to do all types of books, you know, not just the novels that Michael Bond wrote, but, you know, the, the, the chapter books and the picture books and the little board books and, and every version of Paddington that's been published, um, Bob Alley has, has done the art for, which is remarkable. Right. And in talking with Bob Alley, something I loved about our conversation is we didn't just talk about his, his art, you know, him being an artist and working on the books. Like he, he was a very lovely guy to talk to. Oh, <laughs> not, yeah. that, not that all of the people we talked to aren't lovely, but you know, there's just some, the, some people we talk to, it's just like an old friend. I mm-hmm. say that sometimes, but it's true. And that's the way Bob was. I yeah. call him Bob because he's my friend now. Because he's our friend. Yeah. Cause he was given, <laughs> he was given, he's given us both a hard time for what we had in our background. So now, yes. um, you know, peek behind the curtain, everybody listening, you know, we sometimes we, we, we record on Skype and yep. sometimes we use video. Um, sometimes the interview, we has the video turned on. Sometimes they don't. Um, Bob had his turn turned on and he was sitting in his studio so behind him is, you know, a full artist studio, you know, the, mm-hmm. the drawing board, paints, brushes, um, stuff all over the walls, decorations, you know, it looked like a gorgeous artist studio. Um, and Justin and I are just sitting here with sort of like nothing behind us. Like, <laughs> just the <laughs> way the, that the I'm cameras, in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, just the way that the cameras are positioned. It looks like there's just like nothing behind us. Uh, yeah. So he was giving us a hard time for being so boring, I think, is what he was doing. <laughs> and he was he was rather not fond of my full head of hair apparently <laughs> uh yeah no I, neither am i but we're not going to get into that <laughs> except when we talk to mo willems he has a gorgeous gorgeous <laughs> head of hair <laughs> that's off topic all right so we uh, we talked to bob alley this week I don't, I don't know i think we set it up do we need to say any more about this you about? know what just listen because it's a joy yep. from beginning to end just do it right All right, so we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Bob, I wanted to thank you for taking the time because I know you're busy. I know you've got taxes to do. I know you've got (laughs) pictures to write on that that awesome studio behind you, but I do appreciate it. Well, you're you're welcome. I'm only too happy to chat with such cheerful folk. (laughs) Um. I wanted to ask, I, I, you know, reading up on you, I could tell that you were one of those kids who was just drawing from before you could even speak. Um, but do you remember the first book you made the first time, like you took pictures and put them together and said, Hey, I can make a story. Um, no, no, but know that, um, I know that I have been doing it for, for, well, before I could read, I know that, um, I would make, picture books or books that had pictures in them and told a little story and uh and i noticed that most of the books we got from the library had words in them but i couldn't read them so i would do scribbles mm-hmm. i would do little <laughs> scribbles where, where the where the text was going to go mm-hmm. and, um, i never was um uh I, I i didn't even try to sound out i, I was a slow learner to to read and so the idea that the the letters stood for sounds and that those sounds stood for the things yeah. that we were saying to each other yeah. was was kind of a remarkable concept and took me quite a while to to figure out um but so i would i would just mark the areas where the story i was telling in my head was going to go if if someone if oh. someone could write it <laughs> but that was at least you were showing an awareness of that was the story part of the page you know like there were the pictures and then there were the words oh, which clearly oh, meant something had, else 
Oh, there had to be a story. There always had to yeah. be a story. Yeah. And um, I, I was never, um, I was never particularly enamored with uh, wordless picture books, mm-hmm. um, because I thought I was not quite getting the whole story. Mm-hmm. You know? and um, so I, I knew there had to be um, uh, an audio <laughs> or <laughs> some sort of verbal, some sort of verbal thing going on, because it was. Um, because you know, I, I grew up with um, with with Saturday morning TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the only kid, and that was the the thing to do on on Saturday morning. And they, I mean, it was all words and pictures, right? Right. So, so it had had to it had to have words. There had to be, you know, there had to be some way for um, other than the visual for the characters' emotions and um, and their personalities to come out. And um, so, as you know. So I, I, you know, I, I really appreciated the one thing we don't have anymore: those live-action um, Saturday morning shows, like the Captain Kangaroo and all that stuff. <laughs> there are no Saturday morning shows at all anymore. No, not really. I know. I remember getting the TV guide when I was little, and that you know how they would advertise the new season, yep. and they would have a special section for yep. the Saturday morning things, and mm-hmm. I would through it, and I would plot. What I was going to watch, <laughs> all that stuff, and uh, I yeah. used to love. I when I mean Saturday morning died a long time before it actually died, but uh, yeah, like when I, I was a kid during the eighties, and man, Saturday morning yeah. television. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Saturday morning television was was man, it could you couldn't beat it. I mean, even the terrible shows yeah. were were awesome mm-hmm. with a big bowl of cereal, you know. Oh yeah, because they they told. Um, they told stories. I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because I've been I've been writing more and I've been trying to figure out what I my agent has said. So what do you want to write? So I'm saying, well, I want to write stories. And she <laughs> said, Duh. but what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I want to write stories that aren't um, greeting cards to emotions. You know, I want to write I want to write things that have. Um, have definable characters and and real plots, you know, not because mm-hmm. not not um because because I remember little golden books and stuff growing up, and they sure. were uh, they had um, a lot of them were based in real life, you know, things about taxi cabs yeah. or things about um, airplanes or firemen or something like that, and they but they had real plots around them, just like adult novels have plots around mm-hmm. and they have and they have characters and they have um um there's 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 just a little more depth than simply exploring an emotion which of course has to be part of it you know there has to be an emotional kind of character has to be facing some sort of emotional challenge but um but sort of mixed in with an event and a um a particular place yeah one thing that I thought was interesting, um, as I was reading reading up on your, uh, almost all the bios I found of you online make a point to say that you didn't go to art school, but you rather got a degree in art history. Right. Um, how how do you think that that, if at all, that background affects how you approach art? Um. Well, I didn't go to art school because my parents were not going to pay for their only kid to go to art school. I mean, really, really. Um, and there, you know, there were. Nowadays, there's so much um, reason to go to art school. You know, I mean, there's so, there's the, um, the cartoon animation industry is just. It's it's just gigantic because yeah. it includes, um, you know, every everything you see on the web, whether it's a you know whether it's a TV show or whether it's um, it's a game or it's it's just the visual visual content is just skyrocketed. Um, but back in the olden days, uh, when it wasn't easy to um, uh, put up some sort of visual image on a screen, well, there weren't screens. Uh, except for the TV, and then it was just very complicated to get a visual image on a piece of paper. Even, um, yeah. So I, I went. I'm glad I went to a, a regular four-year college because I 
I learned a lot more about the world than I would have if I had um, mm-hmm. concentrated on, on, um, on art. On the other hand, I also didn't learn a lot of the, uh, the technical stuff and the, uh, yeah. and, and the way of, I, I had a good, I took studio art courses in college, but um, uh, my, my saving grace was, as far as being an illustrator, was that I got hired by Hallmark right after college. And because um, they were in a, they were in a, uh, someone had read a book, management had read a book, management's always reading. <laughs> They're always reading something. <laughs> yeah. And this particular book said, well, what you need to do is get people who aren't artists and, um, and you know, don't have an art school background and uh, they'll, they'll create some interesting stuff. So I got hired in that, in that flurry of, um, of hirings. And then someone, I guess a few years later, read another book saying that everyone should work in-house and you should all be artists and uh, with art school backgrounds. Yeah. I, I was not at the point where I had to wear a suit as an artist because oh you did for a while you had to do that, but that was before my time there. <laughs> anyway, so we were in Kansas City for a couple of years. And oh, so that, that was do, do the greeting card companies still employ artists now? Or do they just recycle oh, yeah. art from all the years? Okay. No, oh, no, they do. They do because um, it's you know it's still a it's still a gigantically profitable industry. Right. Uh, even even with um, that blows prob- my mind sales you know it's uh, well it doesn't it it costs like nothing to make the cards right i know right. but like and this is maybe just my generational thing speaking but like i can't remember the last time i bought a card you know what i mean okay it's like thank you cards for my kids birthdays yeah. you know but like like a happy birthday card or a happy anniversary card like yeah. i see them at target and i was like who still buys them my mother (laughs) (laughs) oh my mom does too but like but then then just think of it don't you like when you get something physical in the mail i mean isn't that kind of fun that it isn't value pack does it have a check in it because if it has a check in it i like i like it that's that's a good deal (laughs) and to get it publicized nationally that's very clever yeah oh Oh, um bribe people to read books hmm. anyway <laughs> do you i mean i i can see in your studio behind there you've got a lot of you know people who can't see you've got a lot of, of, of brushes and paints and and paper and it's very physical all that stuff yeah yeah do you work digitally at all or no no i um i'll do some digital cleanup of um if there's um if there's something that needs to be, um, uh, well, I, I do I do some political cartoons for a local website, and for those I'll do a pen and ink drawing with a regular Crowquill pen, and I will add the color digitally mm-hmm. because it's just meant to be on a digital platform, so it doesn't matter. But if it's going to be printed on a piece of paper, I need to do it on a piece of paper. Yeah, and the re- and the reproduction now is so so good that there's really no reason not to you know I like working with physical materials because I can't 100% control them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you when you're making a mark with uh, with a steel pen on a piece of paper the ink will uh, will move slightly in ways that you don't anticipate right. and uh, and, and with paint running on watercolor paper, you're never utterly sure what you're going to get. And it's there's and I've I, I tried digital stuff. I did. I, I tried um, adding uh, never really drawing with a with a line work because most of my stuff is based on a pen and ink line, but. Um, I tried adding adding color digitally, and as I say, I liked it for for like these cartoons that are that are meant to be quickly consumed. But um, for books, it, the idea of always having to make a decision yeah <laughs> um, that was you know that it I, I just couldn't get my head around that, and and there was and. And I had enough art history experience. <laughs> Circling back. You there you go. See, it came in handy. Yeah. But but actually physically seeing 
Because as an art history person, what you're looking at, what you're trying to discern is, um, is the physical nature of the artwork, if you're talking about older stuff. And, um, and to, you know, you look at a Van Gogh or something in reproduction, then you look at it in reality. Yeah. And there's a, there's a thickness to it, there's a physicality to it that you just mm -hmm. can't get in the reproduction. And, um, and if you try to fake it um, digitally by creating a Van Gogh-ish painting <laughs> digitally, you just, you, you know, you just can't. Yeah. You just can't. And um, I remember um, one of my favorite art history moments was, um, as I say, I grew up in Annapolis and we would go to the National Gallery every now and then. And my parents were good at schmoozing and they schmoozed their way into the conservatory room. Nice. Where they were, uh, you know, where the, where the guys with, um, and that's what, something I thought I might want to do actually in college, be a conservator. Um, but that, that required chemistry. Much, you have to know a much. lot of chemistry. Oh, you do. But there was, but it was one of the. It was a white room, like something out of two thousand one, set mm -hmm. from two thousand one. And in the middle of it, on this easel, was this this Rembrandt that they were cleaning, and it was out of the frame, and there was no one working on it, and there was just like you know paints on the on the, on the side of the easel with little tubes of paint because they were doing the little retouching things, and it was just glorious you yeah. know it was just because you could walk right up to it and i almost touched it um but but i didn't and <laughs> but it was but it was just to just see the um it, when you go to a museum and you actually see the physicality required to put paint on whatever surface it's put on or when you when you look at a sculpture and really closely and mm -hmm. see how um see how the surface has been created you you get such an appreciation for for hand you know a handmade object and i that's you know that's that's what i want to be able to do with uh with the art that i'm making yeah do, do you have a um like like a routine like a daily routine or because i know you oh boy <laughs> a funny idea Just, because I think I do. Yeah. You know, I pretend that I do. I don't. I just don't. I think, uh, every morning I'm going to get up at 7. I'm going to get to the studio by 9. I'm going to... And I don't. Yeah. And, um, and, you, you know, and, and it, it usually takes until just before lunch to um, to get the the idea of the day going and yeah. then of course you have to have lunch <laughs> and then then you have that after lunch pause yeah like the food coma uh, and, and then you have to gear up again so <laughs> i guess if i'm honest and and that's that's a concerning idea anyway but um you know maybe that time from like four to six <laughs> you finally get it going uh, then it's dinner time, and then you know, oh, okay. boy, that was a lot. Of Whew, stuff. That was a rough day. Uh, I got, I, I deserve a break. <laughs> I know, but it's, uh, it's, it, it really is an all the time kind of thing. I keep yeah. a sketchbook. I try a new. Yeah. Uh, you work when um, I, I work when um, it's. I always want to put myself in a position. I, one of the things I, 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 I did hold on to was that you have to. Put yourself in the position of being able to do something creative if you're going to do it. You know, you can't just mm -hmm. think about it all the time. You can't just wander around with your sketchbook and think, oh, I'm being creative. You have to sit down in a space where you can actually finish a project. You know, there's yeah. so, so many half-finished projects in the world. It's, uh, it's, it's a little disconcerting. The, the object is to actually finish something. So, so at this point, do you ever have time to just sit and create for yourself, or is it all professional? You're all doing stuff for other people. <laughs> um, no, it's. I don't know how to describe that because someone asks me to do something, and it becomes for myself. Right. Okay. No, so you gotta. You, you have to. 
you have to turn it around somehow or other if you're going to accept the assignment to right. finding a way of making it for you. You know right. that, that you're getting something out of it, and it's it's you're. I mean, it, yeah, it's not always the easiest thing in the world because sometimes um, sometimes it's hard to get into an assignment, but um, but usually there's usually you've been asked to do it because whoever's asking you to do it thinks that you'll do a good job with it. Yeah. So let's <laughs> let's talk Paddington. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, him. That that guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so twenty years? Is that how long you've been doing it? Yeah. Yeah. How did that um, originally come about? How did you get the gig? Well. Wow. Um, and it's a it's a corporate story full of mystery <laughs> and intrigue. Um, I was I was doing a um, a series of um, I can read books uh, for Harper and Row, the publishing company, mm-hmm. and it was of a wonderful character by um, uh, James Schofield called uh, Detective Dinosaur, and it was pen and ink drawing with watercolor. Love Detective Dinosaur. There's a yeah. You can't see it back there. I have one up there. Um, anyway, Harper and Rowe merged with William Collins, the English publisher. And Collins had been the longtime Paddington publisher. And someone in New York decided when they became Harper Collins that they would bring the Paddington books over here. So they, and they thought they needed an American illustrator to, to illustrate. And they thought pen and ink because Paddington has always been drawn in pen and ink. Um, so they just matched me up and, um, I went over there with the editor to London with the editor and we, uh, I, I um, auditioned for Mr. Bond. Mm-hmm. I had, I read all the novels, um, because Paddington started out as a, as a series of, of right. um, novels and, and there were, I don't know, there God, it must have been about 10 of them and I read them all so I understood the character and Mr. Bond was pleased that I'd taken the trouble to do that and he, he looked at my drawings because I did character sketches of not only Paddington but the other characters involved mm-hmm. and he said mm-hmm. yeah yeah he liked, he liked them all he thought Paddington was good because um, he could tell that there was a bear under the coat and the hat and that was <laughs> a good thing and um but he wasn't sure of one of the characters, and uh, Mr. Gruber, who is a um, who owns an antique store and is very dear to uh, Mr. Bond's heart, well, all the characters are, but he's a character who shows, an adult character who shows Paddington around London. And I went, I brought paints with me, so I spent the night in the hotel room uh, redrawing Mr. Gruber, trying to figure out what, what he would look like, and I showed him to Mr. Bond the next morning and as I was showing him the drawing I realized what I'd done was a caricature of Mr. Bond uh. and, uh, <laughs> and so he said hmm <laughs> and he liked it so, that, so, that, so then we were all running it and after, after that I guess he um, he liked my the way I was um, drawing Paddington's world so he just suggested to, to um to everyone that I just do the books yeah. for the picture books for wow. um, um, you know the not not have a separate illustrator by continent yeah. but, but just have one global illustrator wow. and so as this time went on so we we started out with picture books and then he wrote some board books from brand new board books and then um, the last few years he got back into writing novels which was really cool and so I illustrated three, uh, and just in black and white, three novels, which was great. So I, I feel really lucky to have been able to, to draw Paddington in all the, you know, in, in, in all, all the formats. Forms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you said that you read the novels when you went before you went into audition, but I mean, Paddington was a was a like this British cultural icon, you know. Even oh, absolutely. Long before I, he came over here. I mean, were were you familiar with the character, or when they asked you to audition, were you like um, Padding who? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I knew, I knew the character, but like as as most Americans, I knew Paddington as a stuffed bear mm-hmm. with a hat, mm-hmm. a coat, and and boots, which were really clever because they allowed him to stand up on a shelf. Right. <laughs> um, but 
no, I had no, I really didn't know um, the depth of um, of the character. I didn't know what the, I didn't know what Paddington was all about. I certainly didn't understand um, how iconic he was um, in England. But once I read the novels, it was you know it was clear that this was <laughs> <laughs> something else. This, this was this was a fully formed. Uh, world and a, a um, and something that was um, it, it was not it did not the thing about Paddington is as a character that he does not exist out of time mm-hmm. you know it's it, he's always six years old but mm-hmm. he's never but the world as the world modernizes around him his adventures modernize Mm-hmm. Um, family he lives with um, doesn't doesn't change. No one ever. <laughs> the Browns never get older. Um, Mr. Gruber never gets older. Um, they those relationships remain static, but the things that happen um, to Paddington uh, are all modern. Like the like the most recent novels were about immigration. They were about Paddington as uh, as an illegal. Then hmm. uh, and, uh, and the movies, the movies have kept that modern, modernity, yes, uh, alive. And it was it's they've been very clever because you know they they have to show even more of, of the world than um, than a picture mm-hmm. book. So. Yeah, you were not the first illustrator to to hit, take on the characters. Oh. So I mean. I yeah. No, Peggy Fortnum was uh, was the original illustrator for all the novels. Yeah, and she um, she famously did. She she got the the, the idea of Paddington right away. Um, she did not make Paddington a um, an Ernest Shepherd kind of Wind in the Willows Pooh kind of kind of mm-hmm. character, existing out of time. She went to the zoo and drew pictures of bears because she knew that the thing about Paddington is that he is a bear. You know, it's, it's, and, and the, the running joke, if there, if it's a joke, I don't know, but the, is, is just that people are not surprised to yeah. see an actual bear with <laughs> a hat and a coat wandering around the city. They, speak to him and he speaks very nicely back (laughs) it's um it's it's that it's that underlying acceptance of the other you know and uh, and i don't think that i think that that's a theme that has grown it was the initial theme of, of of finding a home but then it's grown as as the world has changed around um uh, trying to figure out as the world's gotten smaller, everyone has had to figure out how to accept different cultures. Yeah. You know, and and, a, and, and what, whether to accept different cultures. I mean, it's not how, I, but by how, I'm assuming that people want to. Not everyone wants to. Right. You know. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, look at you guys. I mean, Canadian and American. <laughs> We're breaking I, barriers what, here. What could be more, you know, diverse? <laughs> oh, you jest, sir. <laughs> nah, not at all. Not at all. So, but I mean, but, you you came into this character that had been around for decades, had mm-hmm. been through many other illustrators. Was was there something about those previous incarnations and those other artists' take on their character? Was there something that you said, "Well, this is core to the character. I cannot change that. He, this has to stay." Besides his lab fit, I mean, because that can't change. Right. Well, the, well, we did have the main discussions about the color of the various mm-hmm. pieces of the outfit, and um, and then so that was <laughs> that was a bizarre conversation to think. <laughs> Took an hour to figure out red hat, blue coat, yellow boots. Good, um, <laughs> but but um, hmm. 
I, I guess another way to think about it is like how much freedom do you have to sort of inject your own style like to bring your own take to the character oh a lot a lot and I think that's because I I I don't have the ability to draw like Peggy drew Paddington because mm-hmm. she she had um she had such a swift looking <laughs> and um um uh, sketchy line mm-hmm. that it can't right to the core of the character and that that was great for the novels but it wasn't transferable to picture books where you where the art where the art became half the story right um because you needed to you need to have more background and so over the years Paddington's been drawn in so many different ways that actually there was very little um, worry that I had other than just making sure that the bear that I was drawing was was my bear mm-hmm. you know because it had it, he's he's been drawn in, um, in very uh, very realistic styles and very graphic styles where there's, you know, like it's just uh, a Hanna-Barbera kind of um, solid outline with, with, um, with block colors behind them. Um, it's, um, so it's an interest, he's an interesting character because he gets, um, his, his story is translatable into so many different visual uh, interpretations. The one thing I wanted to get was I wanted to get the facial expressions. I wanted to get the the. I, I want his eyes to, um, his looks, his his mannerisms to be, um, to be approachable and obvious, and um, and and really organic with the rest of the rest of his world. The the yeah. trick was for me to draw a bear in a human world. And not have you immediately say, "There's a bear it's there. A bear. Yeah. a bear doing there?" You know, <laughs> it's it all has had to be of one piece. Yeah. Um, how was it working with Michael Bond? I mean, was what kind of a person oh, was he? <laughs> um, very dry. Yeah. Um, exactly as you would expect. Uh, and <laughs> an English gentleman to be, uh, but he also he he was he was very very funny in a very dry way, and he would um, once he allowed me to um, to be part of Pennington's world, he could not have been more generous. He we we talked on the phone, we faxed, we. Um, we even emailed a little bit, although that wasn't that wasn't his thing. He would he would type something out and then um, give it to his wife to yeah. uh, to scan and then email. But um, <laughs> he he wanted to he had a very good sense of what he wanted to to do and how he wanted Paddington to be presented and how he wanted and he was. And he wanted to work. It was clear that he wanted to work with um, with an illustrator who that that was okay to share a little bit of Paddington with. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we would talk about um, you know he would have ideas, and he would sometimes ask me if there was something I wanted to draw or something I felt comfortable with drawing, and. Um, and 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 suddenly that would appear in uh in, in the book and hmm. uh, in the text and that was that was really that was really very nice and i and i tried to return the favor by making sure that when i had a question about where what the browns house looked like or um or uh or, or something about um something i didn't quite understand about uh, the little mundane details of of, uh, of London. I would ask him, and he he drew things like floor plans of the of the brown house. And he was he was forever sending um, sending pictures. He would go around the city with his with his uh, camera, taking um, taking pictures of things that I needed to know. Yeah. Like if 
he had um, if there was a double decker bus. Uh, I needed to know what that looked like, and I needed to know that the double decker bus has been changed. The uh, Roadmaster, I think it is, the older bus that we that that, that sort of is iconic. Yeah. Uh, uh, has been changed to something that does not allow for jumping on and off anymore, and um, and so I, that needed to be added. Mm. The, the, so I was always conscious of adding new stuff. In fact, the um, the original uh, picture book version of uh, Paddington being found at Paddington Station, um, I did that twice. First, when I first started out um, with Michael, and he sent scads of pictures for that, and then again when they um, redid the architecture of the station. He insisted on having the book revised to reflect the new architecture. Hmm. And um, and as as with everything English, it's uh, in London. It's constantly being revised. So yeah. so I. So it, that was it, that yeah. was important to him was to keep everything up to date. And like like you're saying, he doesn't exist out of time. He's very much current, oh. even though he doesn't age. Right. I mean, the the whole the whole immigration issue, the whole um, the whole thing of um, uh, the the London Eye appears in and yeah. uh, and some of the books. Um, uh, the last book, um, the last picture book he wrote is is set in St. Paul's Cathedral, and that was a direct result of um, him having being been asked to write something to celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday, which was celebrated in St. Paul's, so he got behind-the-scenes tours. Oh, nice. So that led led him to think of what would Paddington, what adventure yeah. would Paddington have in St. Paul's, and so that led to um, that led to a picture book. Yeah, that's um, great. It's, yeah, it's he was, and he I think was one of those people who would um, who actually had a schedule, and you <laughs> could tell. Because he wrote a tremendous amount. Of <laughs> I I envy those people who who can wake up and say I'm starting at seven and and they just do it. You know I can't do it either. Yeah. Well, <sighs> they're magical people, I guess. <laughs> seven is so early, though, right? It really like... is. It's crazy. <laughs> um, well, but that's well. Yeah. Now you're. But just you have a weird. Do you have the weird time zone, the half hour time zone, or no? Is that... We're we're an hour ahead of Eastern, but the half hour's up in Newfoundland. Oh, okay. Yeah, that just yeah. sounds that that just sounds annoying. I know, mean, eh? Just, <laughs> look at us. We can do half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Who do they think they are? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. If Paddington. Were to go to lunch or tea or whatever with Pooh and Corduroy, what would they talk about? <laughs> wow, there's a question. Well, <laughs> I would I would just say that since both Pooh and Corduroy are fictitious characters, <laughs> and Paddington is absolutely real, but they come to uh, life. <laughs> He would, um, you know, it would it, it would be a one-sided conversation. <laughs> All right, that that seems like a cheap answer to me. <laughs> well, it is absolutely a cheap answer, but the the difference though is that Pooh and Corduroy are stuffed animals, right? right. They yes. are. Right. I mean, Pooh is a teddy bear. Corduroy is a teddy bear. Paddington is a real bear from Peru. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough, I guess. We'll let you get away with that. <laughs> um, so Paddington, is, Paddington is more akin to um, the, what, who's, what's the monkey? Um, Curious George. Yes, that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, more, there's more of a similarity. You know, don't get don't go down the bear route yeah, yeah. there. There's more similarity between those characters than um, than other uh, stuff. I mean, it's it's tricky. I I'll grant you, it's tricky because Paddington first became iconic because of um, of uh, the the stuffed bear that was was made. That was yeah, you know mm -hmm, that, yeah. and so we get bogged down in that. And, and Michael used to get kind of annoyed when people would describe Paddington as a, as a teddy bear. Yeah. 
um, that was that was so antithetical yeah. to what he was trying to do. <laughs> so so he could go to lunch with the Berenstain Bears. Boy, that would that would be an interesting conversation, wasn't it? Mama would get all judgy at him because he was doing something wrong. Papa would step in a pie or something, and Paddington would just stand there and shake his head. And he would wondering why. And he would wonder why all these people are talking in rhyme. What's, what's that about? Why, why is there such a goody two-shoes moral at the end of every story? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Paddington is not encumbered with morals. It <laughs> doesn't end with a moral. You you have to you have to work at to figure out <laughs> what you're going to take away. <laughs> what am I taking away from this? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> that. And that, that makes for a more, I think that makes for a more fun experience. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the, um, that series of four books, and I don't know if you have a name for them, but the Clark, Gretchen, Mitchell, and Annabelle. Is there a name for that series that's easier to say? No, no, much to the disappointment of the publisher, there yeah. is no name. Um, uh, well, we yeah. love them. We love them in this house. My kids love them. <laughs> you you have great taste <laughs> um but i was reading and you, you said that the purpose of those books is to to celebrate imagination in the real world get kids away from screens um and what's interesting to me though is that i mean that's certainly something that you know we try to do and i think a lot of parents try to do is you know limit screen time get kids outdoors get them back in their imaginations um, so on Skype, yes. But <laughs> I'm not a kid. But when <laughs> when we push these things, or not push, when we suggest go outside and play, or, or you know, you know, write a story, you know, kids are almost mm-hmm. always very responsive to it. Like they love doing those things, um, and it's not something they're opposed to doing. So why do we need to keep reminding them? Like get away from the screen, go outside. You know, if if it's something that they naturally are drawn to doing anyway. Why do we need to keep throwing this out there as a reminder? Like, your imagination's cool. You know, like, go outside and play. I think I would bet that because we have this thing called school, (laughs) and and school is a necessary evil. Um, it's, It's necessary because it's really important that kids know the history of their of their world so that they can they can build on it um so that they can understand relationships and um and and survive and and, and as they get to be adults it's evil because it's couched in the idea that there are right and wrong ways of looking at the world mm-hmm. and because that's that's in that's because it's easier to explain anything without shades of gray, you know. Um, anything. It's it's so. <laughs> geez, we're back to that picture of Trump in the background. <laughs> um, it's it's um. So I think, and I think too that kids are presented when I go to a school. The thing that. I I like I always draw for the kids. Mm-hmm. I always have a pad of paper and markers and and crayons and just you know all this all this physical stuff and I I draw a, a picture or two for the kids and I and in drawing the picture I don't just draw it straight out I draw be, I I start out with. Um, with with like a light blue pencil underdrawing, I I, mm-hmm. I really construct the thing the way I would construct an illustration. And as I'm doing that, I'm trying to explain that what you see in books, what you see on screens, that's the final product, you know. And that's great to consume that stuff, you know. That's a fully blown um, version of what the creators had in mind, but. There are so many steps that you take to get to that point, and that's all the imagination. That's all when you're exploring. You're asking, "What happens if I go this way instead of that way? What happens to to you know if 
I have a character standing there. Uh, what if I want to, to move? So I, I screw around with the drawing and, and the character is moving. But you still see the original static drawing of the character uh, underneath the, the, first, the, the, the movement drawing. Mm -hmm. so, and, and the kids, I, I found the children, when you present the creative process as a process, then they really understand that because that's how they're processing the world. You know, that's their, their, we're presenting them in school and with, with, um, with finished books and finished movies with these static elements that they can't change. You know, this is here, this is, this is the thing and you will respond to the thing as it is. And so they do need to be uh, encouraged to realize that the thing is not the thing until it's cooked, you know, mm -hmm. until it's done. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it's like cooking. You got all these ingredients. You can mess them around any way you want to. And sometimes it's going to be palatable and sometimes it's going to go bleh. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's so, so I think that's why we want to encourage kids yeah. to walk. Uh, to, to wander about in their imagination. Mm -hmm. And those four books are, are interesting to me because they are about the relationship between four siblings, which is not a usual topic. And then each sibling ha invites the other siblings into their imaginary adventure, which they participate in to varying degrees, sometimes willingly, sometimes not <laughs> willingly. And the, the give and take about that sharing of a imaginary experience, I think, is, um, is I, I remember that from growing up. Yeah. I remember trying to persuade my friends that um, this imaginary experience was going to be really cool. And they're going, no, 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 not so much. Yeah, we don't, we're not, we're not into puppets like that. Let's, let's do <laughs> Let's do something else. Let's build a let's build a tree house or see how much poison ivy we can get on our own. You know, that type of stuff. Let's go steal wood from the construction site next door. I didn't say that. That's fun too. That, that's not that never happened. Never happened. <laughs> we had so, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go, no, go ahead. Um, we, well, what Jamie was about to say, we had Mo Willems on the show. How'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's almost like we have questions. You, okay. Um, and he said that his books are meant to be read once. He writes them with an understanding, or sorry, that they're not they're not meant to be read only once. He oh, writes, my God. <laughs> sorry, I misspoke. And so he writes them so that he knows they're going to be read many, many times. How aware of you when you're drawing that, you know, the best picture books are more or less permanent fixtures in a child's life. Um, I think that's, I think that's really important. And I think that it's true that you want to create something that can be experienced more than once. Right. And, um, and, 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 and the picture book world, a lot of that comes down to, um, uh, how you create the art so mm -hmm. that it can be, you know, so it's, it's true. Once you, you weren't actually wrong when when you misspoke at first. <laughs> you only have one chance to tell the story to the kid, right. and the kid will. The child's going to going to experience that story because it's brand new, um, only only once. You mm -hmm. know, and if and if if he or she is only half paying attention to it, the next time you read it, they may find something else in the story and the words of the story, but they know how it ends. You know, they know they're never going to be surprised again. That's one of the most annoying things about doing anything creative. You can never know the surprise of, um, uh, you don't you don't ever really understand how someone else is going to see your work, you know? Right. You just can't because you 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 look at I look at the books and I know what time of day I painted the picture, you know? 
um, I, I can't not experience. It's, it's like you can't surprise yourself with something you've done. So mm -hmm. the best you can do is try to anticipate um, the various levels that your work is going to be experienced in. Um, so you you add, for, for my part, what I like to do is add maybe a couple visual elements that create a secondary story in the mm -hmm. book. Um, some characters that aren't mentioned in the text that, um, that I'm hopeful that a child or a parent reading to a child will say, what do you think's going on there? You know, and, and, and have, have more of a, a broad uh, conversation beyond just the plot of the story. Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. And, I, you know, we experience that when movies, right? I mean, when we right. see some of these movies that are, um, that are mashups of obvious, you know, boardroom meetings of people who want to throw <laughs> everything into the movie. I mean, that's going too far in the other direction, you know? That's uh, like all these, oh my God, all these superhero movies where they put every single superhero they can think of in one movie. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> there's, no, there's no characters anymore. They're just cardboard cutouts going around doing the, whatever they do. And it's just, oh, oh, I hate it. The movies I like are the ones where I have no idea what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And the novels I like to read, or the now that I read, um, <laughs> it's you know, and and the story I like. My favorite picture book growing up was a Margaret Wise Brown picture book, um, illustrated by Garth Williams, one of my favorite illustrators, um, called The Sailor Dog. It's a little golden book, and it's the suspension of belief and the and the and you don't know what's going on. It starts. I remember it starts out. It starts out. Um, Let's see, born at sea in the teeth of a gale, the sailor was a dog. Scuppers was his name. You turn the page. After that, he lived on a farm. But Scuppers wanted to get back to sea. Why? <laughs> Why did he live on a farm? What's going on? <laughs> but as a kid, you don't need that question answered. Yeah. Why he wants to getting back to, mm -hmm. to see was what is the question you want answered, and um, it, it's that's the type of thing you can do in um, in a short picture book form that, um, and that's the type of imagination that you really I, I want to tap into with the with, with a child, yeah. where you're not it's, it's like seeing Paddington on the street, and not being surprised that there's a bear tipping his hat to you on the street. Why not? Why you know, not? why not? Why not indeed? <laughs> <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for your time. This is well, you're welcome. That was, that was it. It's only been an hour. It's only been an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, and uh, I just want to add one thing that you had. You, yes. Yeah. One thing you, you haven't, touched on exactly but it, it's it's a Paddington thing again but it's also about those four books and it's mm -hmm. about everything that I, I, I tried to try to do recently um, there's a thing it's like it's like when the the the, the high school students have been marching and, and uh, with uh, with the school shootings and, uh, and all of that and, and getting getting their own you know, finding their voice. Um, it's a thing that you can do in children's literature that, um, that allows these children to have voices. Because um, I think about the books these kids grew up with. And they were books created by people like me who wanted the children wanted children who were going to experience the books to have a very inclusive view of the world, to have some sense of agency in the world, some sense of um, how to get along with other people. You know, a lot, of, a lot of children's books are based on the idea of you can, you can move through the world as a generous and kind person. Mm -hmm. You really can. Um, 
and that's that's Paddington's core value. Um, but so you know, so I look at these these wonderful young people who are just who are just fed up, having been brought. You know, they they were brought up with this idea that people are generous and kind and will help them in the world, and they get to this point and they say, "Wait a minute, yeah. we're not being treated the way." we were promised the world would treat us mm -hmm. you know we're mm -hmm. not we're not being um we're not being um allowed to we're, we're told that it's wrong to be generous to other people we're told that it's wrong to 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 compromise and and work on things together because all the adults in the world are just shouting at them and you know and 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 saying no 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 this is you know we're we're going to stand our ground. We're going to you know have, and, and the and the kids grew up with the idea of, no, all our all the literature we grew up with was learning how to work together. You know the Harry Potters. They they were they, they were disparate kids who learned how to work together. This is what the world should be. So I I have great hope. <laughs> I have great <laughs> political hope for. Um, for this generation, especially as they begin to vote, yes, and that that's going to be really cool. But that's the thing. If there's one thing I'm so proud of for doing the the Paddington books is is that that character represents all that's all that people all that humans should be, should be as yeah. far as as being generous and kind and open to one another. Well, so it's, it's clear a lot of that also comes from you. Well, it's it just seems that's been my experience in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the 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 kinder, the more generous, the more open you are, the happier you are. Yeah. Now Absolutely the, true. And you get to sample all sorts of different type of food too. Which is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, thank you guys very much. It was it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. This has just been an honor, so I really do appreciate your time. I love his answer to the question about Paddington and Winnie the Pooh having a conversation. And <laughs> mostly because mostly because it's not something I ever would have thought about. And he was like, well, you know, Winnie the Pooh is like a stuffed animal, right? He's not he's not really a bear. <laughs> So how what would they talk about? Yeah, they wouldn't talk about anything. It would just be Paddington sort of talking, imagining, imagining. I just said imagining, imagining a conversation between the two of them. Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I should. We should mention that um, there is a new exhibit at the Eric at the Carl, which is the Eric Carl Museum of Picture Book Art. Uh, in Massachusetts, it's in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is, I don't know, some of the hours outside of Boston. Uh, it's not near Boston. It's like the other half of Massachusetts. But um, there is an exhibit that just opened this week. Um, it's called Paddington Comes to America. Uh, it's going to be there until October 7th of 2018. So if you listen to this episode anytime between now when we release it and October 7th of 2018, and you're anywhere near Amherst, Massachusetts, please get your little tushy over there and check out this exhibit. Um, I am, you know, doing everything that I possibly can to get up there. The Carl, I've not ever been there, but there have been so many exhibits that I've really wanted to see. When we talked to Tony DiGiulisi, you'll probably remember Justin. Yes. Uh, yes. He had curated a an exhibit with the mm -hmm. art from the Beverly Cleary uh, Ramona books. And yep. that broke my heart that I couldn't get up there to see that because the Ramona books are just some of my favorite books ever. Um, mm -hmm. But Paddington Comes to America is there and it's got a lot of um, the original, original art. Um, not wow. not just Bob Alley's, but it's going to be a lot of art from the different artists over the years from his inception until now. So uh, definitely go check that out. Definitely. That sounds like a I think the, I think if I remember correctly, Tony DiCiolisi has something to do with the museum beyond just curating. He does. I, 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 I probably should. I don't want to misspeak. I don't know if he's on the board or if he's just a right. visiting curator, but he does. He lives in the area. That area, surprisingly, yeah. has a lot of artists up there. 
Um, we just talked to Jane Neolan a few weeks back and she lives in the area as well. So that, that part of Massachusetts has a lot of artists and authors and, um, they're sort of their regular, uh, Regular features at the museum, you know, when they have, you know, like cocktail hours or cocktail nights or mm-hmm. openings, you'll see a lot of the people who live in the area. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how often Tony works for them, but um, I think Tony and Mo Willems have both worked in an wow. official capacity for the museum. Can you imagine just having those people as like, you know, they're, they're just all buddies, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, let me call Mo up and <laughs> ask him some advice. <laughs> A world I am not part no, of. No, you and me both. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys so much for coming back every single week. Let us know. Do you do you uh, remember Paddington from when you were young or now? Maybe you just found out about him more recently. Like Jamie said, he's bigger. You know, he's really – everyone knows him in, in England, but not necessarily, not necessarily in America. So let, tell us your Paddington stories. <laughs> I'd love to hear them. <laughs> Definitely. You, I love, I love people have stories. Paddington tell us your stories, Paddington so. stories. Tell us your, uh, what, what do you think would happen if Paddington and uh, 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 Curious George got together? You know, they're both, they're yes. both real. They're not stuffed animals. They could have a conversation, exactly. right? Yes, they can. I, th- I think they would do something with Gonzo from the Muppets. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. All right, guys, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB podcast, as well as the GBB podcast.com. I said, yeah. Right. Yes. And I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie at The Roarbots. And we'll see you next time. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.